is that time once again. Wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Fear not. We shall be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Brooklinen and Quip. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, Slash nemesis, the guy who's vacationing yet again, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I'm coming at you not live from uh, beautiful Wyoming. Not live? What do you mean? Well, Time delay somehow? To you, our audience, not oh. live, because oh. I'm not at home, so there's no live stream. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, how's Wyoming? It is beautiful and lovely, and I love it in the summer more than the winter. Actually, this area, Jackson, uh, is bigger, more touristy in the summer than in the winter, but also great skiing. But I'm a hiking, river-floating kind of guy. Did you do any river-floating this weekend? Tomorrow. Tomorrow's river-floating. Tomorrow's river-floating day? Mm-hmm. Official river-floating wow. day of the of the family. We have it in How the calendar there? every year. Yeah. You're going to be there all week? Uh-huh. Oh, well, it's nice that you made time to do the show. I appreciate that. Uh, we got a big show for you. We got lots to talk about. Uh, interesting news week. There's some interesting tidbits. Not a lot of huge news, but I think we might revisit some stuff from last week and talk about some games. Uh, lots of games to talk about this summer, summertime. And we have an awesome guest to do that with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm excited because DLC stands for a drive that is lime colored. Because from the Xbox Drive podcast, we have Luke Lore joining us for the first time. Hello, Luke. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. I am uh, I am live, but not a nemesis. Good to see you guys. <laughs> good to uh, good to talk to you for the first time. I I love the concept of your podcast, the Xbox Drive podcast. It's you are talking to someone who's driving from work or to work. From work, my good friend Sean Capri conceived the show. He is in his car uh, returning home on his uh, weekly commute from work. He, he calls in to me, and together we have the Xbox Drive, a show that we, we discuss gaming news because we are gamers on all fronts. We don't, we don't uh, uh, pretend to be just one console. However, we focus on it uh, from an Xbox perspective, you know, how EA Access might be coming to PlayStation and it impacting the Xbox ecosystem. And so we enjoy ourselves. It's a weekly date with one of my best friends and uh, it's a great time. Cool, man. Well, we're glad to have you. And uh, we talk about our fair share of gaming news here. So that works out perfectly. In fact, that's how we start the show. Let's do that now with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Lots of cool folks hanging out in that subreddit. I encourage you to join them, meet some people, hang out, cool community. But Luke, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your Story of the Week? 
Uh, I really like this uh, discussion point coming out of Jedi Fallen Order. The idea that uh, Respawn does equate it very similarly to Respawn. Uh, I'm sorry, to, to Sekiro. Respawn equates it very much to Sekiro. And I found that to be a remarkable just concept because we we know Respawn for their first-person shooter aspect. It was a, a unique set of introductions in the E3 demos of Fallen Order. Uh, and it left a lot of us wondering what kind of gameplay are we going to have uh, for those of us who didn't go hands-on. Yeah, um, this is a an interview with uh, Jason DeHarris, who is the lead combat designer for Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, and he says that, quote, uh, the, well, he says that he, he likes the comparison to Sekiro and says, quote, I thought it was pretty badass and a little comforting to know that you could make this type of game without a stamina bar. Uh, they let you attack. They let you roll. They do all this for free. And then the AI will tell you if you're doing the correct thing. It just confirmed to us that you don't have to limit everything the player does. Let them have a little more agency and then let the AI give them a slap on the wrist or a punch in the face. It was a positive thing for us to know that there was a game that was very similar to ours. Very similar. So it doesn't sound like he's confirming that they actually were inspired by that game. More like those ideas were, they arrived at those ideas in parallel and said, oh yeah, this is, this is a little encouraging that we're on the right track, that what we already kind of wanted to do has been proven to be popular and possible and successful. Um, so I'll ask you this, Luke, are you, are you looking forward to fallen order because of that? Is that what you're looking for out of that game? A, a combat system that is a little bit more high skill cap. Uh, in fact, no, quite the opposite. I, I, I took a dive into Sekiro, not being someone who's overly capable in the kind of bloodborne dark souls uh, arena. And I am a huge Star Wars fan, and I really enjoy that nerdverse. And uh, so to hear that it's similar to Sekiro, which which its difficulty level was just a bit out of my range for what I at the time wanted to learn, this does uh, scare me a bit. Not in terms of the game's success, but just in terms of how I might approach it. Um, but that said, at E3, I mean, I, I asked one of the developers of Re- uh, on Respawn for Jedi Fallen Order, I said, you know, you guys focus on first-person shooters. How are you approaching this? And they built a whole second team. Uh, and to hear that they're approaching it with this this in mind, it makes me more timid. But, I mean, it's Star Wars. I am all in. I'm, it looks beautiful, and I'm very curious to try it out. Yeah, it's a tricky thing with that IP because you are probably dealing with an audience that's much wider than anything from software is dealing with. I mean, from software has very popular games and sells many, many copies of them, but they're not aiming at, I think the, the general star Wars audience, you know, general star Wars audience maybe isn't, uh, aren't, aren't usually gamers, but they will come to video games or come to this game because it's star Wars. You know, I think there's a percentage of people that probably will play this that won't play other things because it's a star Wars game. And I think anybody who's making a star Wars game has to be aware of that. So I would suspect that while it bears some similarities to Sekiro, I would I would be surprised if it actually ends up being that uh, rigorous, that strict in in what it asks of the gamer. Um, but we'll we'll see. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing, Christian. I know you have become a late convert to Sekiro, uh, although I don't know if you played a ton of it, but I know you were streaming some of it, right? Um, what is it? How do you respond to this kind of comparison of these games? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's smart. I think there's a few things going on here. And I, and I think, I forget if it's in this actual interview with Edge Magazine or in a different article kind of talking about it. But in a larger point, there was subject that how the combat is similar to um, Sekiro, but the exploration is more closely equivocated to Metroid Prime. And so I think that's interesting to, you know, you can take parts of, not that they copy. They'd also said that this has been in development for years, obviously. And it's not like Sekiro came out and they were like, let's make that. Um, but the, you know, there are parts of games that can come together to make a very different feeling game. I don't necessarily think that you'll play Fallen Order and think like, oh, I'm, I'm playing last year's From Software title. Here we go again. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting about this or a way to take this quote is the idea less about the difficulty, which they're kind of not talking to per se, and more about the fight mechanics, right? It's this stuff about not needing stamina bars, not needing cooldowns, you know, represented visually on screen in the which, HUD. Bravo to that, as far as I'm concerned. Right, like letting you get immersed in that world. And it's the thing where the AI, like your enemy, is kind of that cooldown, right? Like if you roll inappropriately or block when you shouldn't or strike when they're going to strike, that enemy will punish you, not, oh, you don't have heavy um, swing stamina right now. You can't do a force swing or, you know, whatever it is. And so I have to imagine that the difficulty will be either A, have a difficulty options or B, be more scalable because as you and uh, talked about the idea of, you know, Star Wars, it needs to be approachable. Um, but I'm excited about it. I like that idea of using that type of combat where you need to pay attention to the enemy you're fighting. And it's not just, you know, while I enjoy Devil May Cry and, and, and a harder difficulty, certainly you need to be a little more aware of enemy animations at lower difficulties. You can also kind of uh, just rhythm game your combat uh, combo through people, <laughs> you know, like, you know what you want to do, you find your opening, then you dial up your combo and take them to town. And I like the idea of Star Wars Fallen Order taking an approach that is a little slower, a little more methodical, and a little more how I would picture maybe a Jedi actually fighting. So I think it's exciting. Christian, it almost sounds like you're describing Arkham Combat or Spider-Man PS4 in that it's not quite button masher. But it's also not so slow paced or so refined. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think you could equate those to a Sekiro style combat as well in the sense that they aren't necessarily HUD based cooldowns or timers. Of course, the block is telegraphed in those games in Arkham and Spider-Man unless you go into the higher difficulties. Um, And I think maybe one reason people don't talk about them quite as similarly is that you don't have a weapon in Batman or Spider-Man, you're not holding a sword or, you know, a staff, I guess Robin um, will have a staff, but it's not really used in the same way. And then the other difference I would think between those games is that you take on larger crowds of enemies a little more easily than you do in from software titles where they're like like fodder, right? Yeah. Right. And in from software, it's like, Oh, here's a grunt. Well, crap, better pay attention. (laughs) Yeah. And Spider-Man, here's 20 people have fun. I I think that the, the Venn diagram overlap point though, that star Wars needs to have is that that same kind of thing where people are going to pick up a Batman or a Spider-Man game in a, in a different way than people pick up a, a dark souls or even a Sekiro or, a, you know, bloodborne. It's, it, it is t- talking to an audience that I think needs to be able to access or interface with the game uh, without 
feeling like something is being asked of them that they're not willing to give. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it has to, I love the idea of there being this high skill ceiling, but there also has to be a pretty high skill, I mean, a pretty low skill floor so that you can, you can still enjoy this game be, and just want to get into the IP. And, and I think Batman and Spider-Man both really succeeded that way. Like the, you can string together awesome combos and be, and, and really get good at that game and feel like your, uh, your, your skill is being rewarded because of all the cool things you get to do. But you can also pretty much play through those games on normal with, you know, getting two or three hits at a time. Uh, and not have to, you know, not even stringing together cool combos or doing lots of different variety of moves. You can get by on just a few different moves that you learn pretty early. So I think those games do a great job of that. And I wonder if they feel a need to make a Star Wars game have that kind of accessibility as well. That's a good point. And you have to think they're hyper aware of that given that, one, it's Respawn, but also it's the EA umbrella. And they know that Star Wars... Uh, is important to them in order to get that that content out there to perhaps extend, keep, or uh, manipulate their contract going forward. They know that people, all eyes are on them uh, due to the reception of Battlefronts 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? I want to talk a little Fortnite World Cup Finals that just concluded as we're recording this fairly recently. I did not follow them super closely as, as I say, player names, you'll realize I probably pronounced them wrong, but I did follow the tour to the finals. And then I am fascinated by the tour you know, with Wyoming. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm here. Um, um, I, I am fascinated by the, this ex. Hmm, I don't want to call it the, how, the g- continued growth and changing landscape of esports, right? Where the Overwatch League is, is still doing well, but it's not necessarily, I think, the the as big of a thing as people maybe thought it was going to be as quickly as they thought it was going to happen. Um, Dota's World Championships are still certainly very huge, and there's you know these competing different huge esport tournaments, and now Fortnite has entered that fray, and I think maybe became the biggest just based on the game's continued global popularity and then also the prize money they were throwing out. And then also, after this one concluded, they said they're going to do more competitive tournaments this year. And so it doesn't seem like this train is slowing down. So to recap, these are the the singles, the single play. Uh, 16-year-old Kyle Giersdorf, Giersdorf uh, won, took home $3 million, also um, this information I wanted to pull, not like the nitty gritty. There's a, I think, a really interesting article on CNN, and there was one on, oh, I forget if it was Bleacher Report or ESPN. But you're seeing good mainstream coverage of this, which I think is is really cool. Also, um, so three million dollars. It's the largest individual prize, uh, individual grand prize for an individual player uh, in any sports tournament. And then in second place, Harrison Chang. A former professional Heroes of the Storm player, sorry, Jeff, woo, woo. Uh, won $1.8 million. Uh, Epic Whale took third, winning $1.2. Epic Whale has not disclosed uh, his full name, which I think is interesting as well. And then Nate Koo, or uh, Cow, 18 from Parkland, uh, took home $1.05 million. And then Everyone who participated, everyone who made it to the finals, which was certainly not an easy thing to do, um, 
as you might notice, I'm not talking about Ninja anywhere here, right? And, and some of the other more visible streaming players. Certainly all of these players have a presence online, but it wasn't, you know, the, the player you've probably heard of or the four that maybe your parents have heard of. But everyone who made it to the finals, including those who placed last, took home at least $50,000 for making it. It's one of the biggest tournaments in esports so far. And then the quote that I thought was really interesting is Chang, who got second, is 24 it was one of the oldest players in the tournament. And his quote was, it's great representing the old dudes. <laughs> yeah, man, 24. Hang it up. Experience. Hang it up. Sit on that rocking chair on that porch, <laughs> Chang. You're 24. It's all downhill, baby. Experience and composure trump everything. Fortnite is a young man's game. He's either going, what, when they asked him what he's going to do with his money, he said, I'm either going to gamble it all or invest. I'm not sure which yet. Is there a difference? <laughs> Hey, <laughs> zing, zing, zing. But I think it's one geopolitical zing. <laughs> I So there's a lot of ways that we can talk about this story. I think personally, the least interesting is Fortnite. What a popular game. And to me, the more interesting thing is these payouts and this competition to become the biggest esport, not necessarily the biggest game. But I think they kind of go hand in hand. But this idea of capturing you know, the public's attention to be the thing that everyone also watches. I believe Epic said over a million people watched the finals via Twitch and various streaming platforms. And I and I think it's fascinating to see these huge payouts and this idea to fill um, content, you know, around people watching these these tournaments in ways that make them economically viable in a traditional sense through sponsorships and things like that. And I'm curious, Luke, if you followed any of the uh, Fortnite World Cup or kind of what your approach to how um, consumable it is as a as a viewer. When I when I when I think about it, I mean, the first thing you do is you draw comparisons to to the actual World Cup or, or whatnot, and. It was to me when you look at this, they've had massive audiences tune into Dota 2 or League of Legends in the esports realm. But I don't notice that you see a lot of that in the North American uh, community, like area. And I don't see that being reported on CNN uh, or ESPN much. And so for it to be garnering that kind of attention, I think is uh, impressive. And furthermore, it is fascinating to me that. I think Dota or, and League of Legends are very imposing. It's very hard to understand what's going on to someone who's not interested. And Fortnite has a simpler mechanics, I think, to understand. Um, and so seeing the audiences rise and the interest rise in something that, you know, most moms uh, and, and dads, their kids tell them what Fortnite is. And so I think there's a lot of aspects to it. Them being so young, I think, is uh, a, a neat aspect, but something that they're going to have to work on uh, mentoring those kids and how to handle fame, money, uh, and, and building and investing in futures as well. Yeah, the being young esports players is is nothing new. That that you know, it's a young man and woman's game. Uh, games, <laughs> they they are the kind of hours you have to put in, the kind of hand eye coordination you have to have. Uh, you burn out pretty fast uh, across a variety of esports. Uh, we see that quite frequently. Um, it, it's pretty clear to me that there, this is a, a bit of a perfect storm. As you said, very watchable game, a very popular game, and also Epic being smart enough to say where there are large prize pools, there will be 
attention. And that has borne out. They, we reported on this well over a year ago when they announced their very aggressive slate of events and how big the prize pools were going to be, you put that, you dangle that out in the, in the, uh, in the world and you get the best talent going, okay, if I can make $3 million playing this, why would I play a different game? I'm a, I'm going to, if I think I can be the best in the world. Why not be the best in the world at a game that gives me the most potential upside? So, you know, they're, they're very smart, very savvy about, investing, reinvesting in their game and making those prize pools sit up and take notice. And when you get to say, you know, if you're a CNN anchor or an ESPN anchor and you get to say $3 million winner, that's, that's sort of a general news story. Kid makes $3 million playing video games is a story that can lead any evening news. So it's not just, you know, an esports story. It's, it really is something that can capture the imagination of anybody dinner can wait let your young one keep playing Fortnite. learn about that and more tonight at 10 (laughs) totally totally so i think they're being very savvy about it i think um you know i think these are very exciting this is an exciting game it it lends itself to esports very very well and and it's very watchable very clear um yeah i mean there's 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 no real downside to this other than you know, it's very young people making a lot of money. I always really liked what Blizzard was doing until they canceled all of it. Um, but I thought Blizzard was doing a really, really smart thing by, um, you know, with, with the Heroes of the Storm um, esports universe incorporating a collegiate level uh, tournament that gave people tuition to college as the as the prize pool. Uh, I thought that encouraged all the right things, you know, but... It's like college gymnastics. You're not as good as Olympian gymnastics, but you still get to compete because <laughs> the Olympic gymnastics are much younger than collegians. <laughs> right. But you look at any collegiate sport and you can't make anything. You can't get any compensation for participating, even though lots of people are making money from the NCAA and et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, in every variety of sport. Um, I thought it was cool that yeah. Blizzard was like, well, we're, we're not going to give you a check but we will pay your tuition for the rest of the time you're in college. I think that's pretty wholesome way to go about it. They have since canceled that, um, you know, right. because they pulled out all the money from heroes esports. But here's um, my question to you, Jeff, uh, putting on your Jeff Dradamus, uh, you know, hat five years, mm-hmm. maybe that's too far out for this landscape, three years, you know, do you think, cause Dota, People get it, it gets picked up in the gaming news when its prize pool gets announced. I think it just surpassed the prize pool for the World Cup, um, for the Fortnite World Cup, with how they run that. Um, you know, people can buy in and, and increase it. Right? Yeah, the international. Yeah, yeah. Your purchase in Steam actually increases the prize pool in the international. This is why it's always breaking right. records because that yeah. becomes a thing too. Like, oh, I'll throw in five right. bucks to you know whatever. Um, and it's been going for years now, right? Like it's proven to be very successful yeah. and continued successful. In three years' time, where you can pick your time frame, Jeff, do you think Fortnite World Cup will continue to grow and be a thing, or it will have pivoted to another game that will be the thing that we're talking about, or will we still be talking about NBA 2K League, Overwatch League, Dota, Fortnite? Like, are we entering the period now where they are putting the lock? on these big esports, or will new games continue to break in? I think new games will continue to break in. I mean, I'm very often wrong about these things. I didn't foresee Fortnite 
becoming the phenomenon it it was and is. Uh, but I, I I find it hard to believe that anything will be permanent in this landscape. I mean, even we're even seeing. It, it may have a very long reign <laughs> uh, as Dota and league have, but even those games you're seeing uh, sort of be supplanted a bit by the, the battle Royale, you know, phenomenon. There's still very passionate audience and players and those games aren't going any- away in the same way. I don't think Fortnite's going away in the same way. PUBG didn't go away. It just, it, it just wanes slightly and something else surges so I think there's always going to be this fluctuation in in what players get excited about and what the audience seems to be buzzing about because there's always new games being released and people are fickle and new shiny things are exciting and interesting and that's just the way of the market. So I I I would I'm not comfortable saying oh there's only going to be six games for the next five years that are people watch. I think there will always be some new upstart there'd be some rocket league out of nowhere that's like oh man this idea that nobody thought of before is caught on and everybody wants to compete Uh, and every and and also so many developers are trying to capture that i I find it hard to believe that somebody won't that's what i wanted to ask you jeff Uh, epic is sponsoring this in in many ways and they are promising more events for more competitive uh showdowns later this year but because Fortnite is their baby and they've shown a consistent ability to adapt and bring new content in because, I mean, they make the engines uh, and they're capable. How do they adjust their next game that's not Fortnite to accommodate esports? I mean, I watched Gears of War go from, you know, not it was competitive, but then suddenly this esports phenomenon took over. And I think it changed the way that the coalition approached the way they designed Gears of War. Do you think Epic adjusts the way they design their next game to in the hopes of capturing a new esports audience. Yeah, I mean I think the entire industry has and and some more than others obviously, but I think the entire industry has understood that that's how you get a long tail to things is that And with that comment, Jeff surges into the lead in today's episode of DLC with <laughs> comments like that, he's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I wish if we had an esports audience watching our show anything's possible Christian. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you see that with a whole variety of, of games trying to create perpetual audiences, things that will catch on competitive multiplayer modes that hopefully get turned into esport. You know, the last couple of years at GDC, everything, everything you saw was like esport ready. It's esport ready. It's like, it's ready to become a competitive thing that, can be broadcast and you can't manufacture that. I don't think, I think Fortnite was very lucky in a lot of ways as well. I mean, they were savvy and they were smart and they pivoted from being this wave shooter to being this battle Royale very quickly. And they recognized that was a a successful move smartly and then capitalized on that and invested in it. So I'm not saying it was just sheer luck, but also they didn't go, hey, we're going to make this game. We're going to work on it for five years. We're not going to put it out. And then when we do, it's going to be a, ne- a worldwide phenomenon. It, you know, these things are also a bit of lightning in the bottle. And, and you know, you, for all the planning, it just sort of has to happen organically too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, speaking of Gears of War, my story of the week actually 
we have some interesting stories this week, but I, I really wanted to revisit a story we talked about last week because uh, we got a lot of feedback about it. And I thought it would be fun to visit some of that. We got some really astute feedback, some interesting comments uh, sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, and this was the, uh, the discussion about Rod Ferguson's comment saying that he'd pulled uh, references to smoking out of the Gears of War franchise early on, even after Gears 2, uh, and that you'll find no smoking in that world um, in, in a lot of ways because he has experienced the really the tragedy of smoking-related deaths in his family. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I applaud that. I'm not a fan of smoking. But uh, more than that, our discussion last week focused on this notion that if we believe that having smoking in a video game may encourage people to smoke, may make it look cool or glamorize it in some way, how can we then also feel that having lots of shooting and guns and killing in a game doesn't glamorize, doesn't encourage that kind of behavior? And it wasn't a discussion that had a conclusion in the sense that we were just sort of wrestling with that idea and we didn't you know, there weren't any solid answers. Um, I, for the record, will repeat, as I did last week, that I don't believe that violent video games make violent people. Uh, I, I, I do not believe that. But it's an interesting thing. If I believe that smoking in a video game should be taken out, why would I not think other heinous acts or bad behavior uh, should be taken out or should be less encouraged. So anyway, we were wrestling with that idea and a lot of people wrote in uh, on that topic. And I wanted to read one or a couple of them, actually. This is a, an, uh, an email from Paul. Uh, he writes, uh, I wanted to send a message regarding your discussion of smoking in video games and the thoughts that were expressed regarding violence as a result of playing video games with violent content. I have a PhD in social psychology and much of my research examined the effects of video games. Primarily, I focused on stereotypes of women in games and how they could impact men's perception of women and women's perception of themselves. But given the academic climate during my time in graduate school, I also had to examine the impact of violent content. I grew up a gamer and focused my research on games because of passion for the field. I haven't been involved in academia for almost six years, so I'm no longer a part of the publish or perish struggle. Given that distance... My perspective has evolved quite a bit. I think part of the magic of video games is the emotion they can evoke in the player. I've cried, laughed, been excited, and become angry while playing video games. I think it's safe to say we all have experienced the emotions associated with those reactions while playing games. These emotions can lead to behavior. When a person is angry, one of the options to relieve that anger is aggression. Well-balanced people don't react with aggression and violence against other people after playing a violent video game, but I think there is a segment of the population that can. Importantly, much of the research is focused on short-term effects of video game play. There is a relationship there, but I think it is temporary. However, I also think persistent exposure can increase the likelihood we will react in a way that is consistent with a video game. For more context, one of the facets of games I researched was the concept of transportation. If a person is adequately transported into a video game world, the player will endorse the rules and culture of that world. For example, it's permissible to carjack people in Grand Theft Auto, so it's something that a player will do. If enough time is spent in that transported state, the rules and culture will bleed over into real life. 
Think about getting into a car to get groceries after playing a racing game. You're probably going to drive faster or envision yourself weaving in and out of traffic to get to your destination more quickly. Another aspect I examined was the realism of the world and how it impacted the level of transportation. If the game aligns with your expectation of reality, it is more likely to transport you. For example, if you play Mortal Kombat with blood effects turned off, it is less transportive than playing it with full gore. As game technology continues to advance, I think their transportive qualities will increase. This is a great thing, but it is also going to continue to be politicized. As a gamer, I don't fight the controversy. I try to take the perspective that games definitely impact us, and that's why we play them. One of those ways could be by making us temporarily more violent, but they can also increase empathy, change our worldview, and make us better people. It's not binary for me. Games, like most media in our environment, change us. That's what makes them important, and that's why I play them. Thank you for reading my rambling. It's not something I get to discuss often, so this was cathartic for me. And I keep up the good work. Paul. Thanks, Paul. I thought that was a very well-written, very interesting, and, and coming from someone who actually has expertise on the topic, unlike us, but that won't stop us from weighing in. So, Luke, I, I wonder what you think about what he wrote and how you feel about this idea of um, a hobby that depicts things that aren't necessarily acceptable in the world. I really appreciated Paul's academic approach to a very emotional topic, you know, and a very large and potentially political topic uh, for any number of ways. So in reading and listening to him, it's almost an example of the way that you would hope others approach uh, these kinds of issues and concerns. Um, I teach middle school as my day job and gaming is very much a hobby for me. And one of the things that we stress and try to work with in young people is their ability to approach things uh, objectively and then recognize when they're approaching things subjectively, when they're emotionally charged, when they are exhibiting empathy or perhaps enhanced aggression, or they're trying to emulate something uh, that they've experienced in life. I mean, after Fast and the Furious, when I was a kid, I sure did want to go street race. You know, after uh, watching Top Gun, I wanted to be a pilot. And there are those transportive effects. Uh, and, and I recognize that. I think the onus is on those of us in positions of education, and I don't mean that just as like teachers. I think as podcasters, as content creators, we need to be reminding our younger audiences that uh, there is a, a, delinea- a, a linear line between fantasy and reality, and we have to, to exercise um, our, ourselves in those two facets appropriately. Um, I certainly recognize that when I listen to uh, music that is consistently – emotionally charged with, with anger or frustration while that can be quite cathartic if too much of it might lean me towards being more angry more often uh, and there are ways to healthily express those emotions and so i think it, the, the maturity is on those who who are capable of recognizing when that happens and we need to work to help people realize that there is there is a, a way to experience carjacking and have a great time with grand theft auto and also uh be empathetic and recognize that that's a fantasy. And then there's a very different uh, sense when you are in reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christian, what do you think about this? I mean, I think Paul could have just said, um, I want to be a guest on your show. And I would say, yes, please. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's all I heard. Uh, <laughs> uh, hmm. It was a heck of an email and I really appreciate it being sent. Um, it's interesting. And it, it, 
you know, I don't think there necessarily is a right answer yet. And I think the a part that jumps out of me in Paul's email, it jumps out at me in Paul's email is much of the research is focused on the short-term effects of video game play. And I understand that I think from a couple of reasons why, right? Where it's like, it's a relatively young medium still where we don't know the long-term effects and we are constantly changing what a video game is and it's realism and it's transport of qualities and yeah. the things that we do in it and to really understand how it is going to affect or define future generations. We don't, we don't know, but I do understand and I appreciate the idea of um, understanding that while it can lead to X can lead to negative, that does not make X negative, right? Like I, this, I guess a silver lining, if you want to look at it that way, is the idea that yes, games might make you more aggressive or this side or the other, but look at all the wonderful things it could also do and, and share with the world. And so I think it's kind of important to remember that when talking about the subject of video games in general, and then maybe focus on the games that create negative side effects and, and talk about those as that game or that thing and not necessarily the broader uh, entertainment or hobby of video games, right? I think we also have to remember balance is important too. You know, immersing yourself into one aspect or one type of game could could do more uh, towards this transportive effect than if you are diversifying what it is you're experiencing. What do you mean? Well, if you're playing, uh, if you're playing Grand Theft Auto nonstop all the time and only focusing on a certain aspect of that game, and not saying going to play FIFA or not going to play Journey or Sky or something that's more tranquil, uh, that might be activating and hitting certain dopamine uh, hits in certain areas of your brain and you know what it is you're doing uh, versus you know something that's a bit more calming. Yeah, yeah. One of the things Paul brings up is that feeling of playing a racing game and then getting in your car to go get groceries. And I've certainly experienced that where I'm like driving a little faster or I, I remember it's funny when I first played Grand Theft, Auto, Grand Theft Auto three a lot, I kept seeing ramps in, in the real world because GTA three, there was like this sort of mini game of like how many big jumps can you hit? And I was always playing the game looking for big jumps and where it would like take the camera to the third person and show this awesome jump. And so I was always looking for cool ramps and I started seeing them in the real world all over the place. And I think all of us who play video games a lot can relate to that feeling of you just play, you play a game a whole bunch and then you go out into the real world and it feels like that you see the world in a different way because of the experience that you've had. I've never had violent thoughts because I was playing a violent game but I also know that one of the things that I'm looking forward to, hopefully in my lifetime, I expect it to be in my lifetime, is a holodeck level of immersion into a video game where I, I am unable to tell the difference between a virtual world and reality. And I think that could be a really, really positive thing. But it's also really scary to think what that might do to our brains when there are no rules in this virtual world or you're able to do things in the virtual world because it's virtual that you shouldn't do in the real world, but the line between them will be less clear. And I think as Christian was kind of alluding to, you know, you can make a long-term study about video games, but if you started the long-term study in the nineties and 
you're talking about people who played games that looked like games in the 90s compared to people who are playing games that look like games today. That is, a, I think, a very different algorithm. It's a very different proposition because, you, you know, we're getting to a level of realism that is constantly being uh, surpassed every every year, every console cycle, every, you know, GPU upgrade. So it is an open question. And like I said, we're a video game podcast. We love this hobby. I play lots of games. I shoot things. I kill things all the time in a video game. And I'm not trying to um, say that that's, that shouldn't happen. I, I do find myself appreciating games that allow me to interact in ways beyond that more as I get older. But also, I just think it's an interesting thing to consider and, you know, and, and ask myself that question. Hey, if I don't want to see depictions of smoking in a game, but I am okay with depictions of all these other things that are repugnant, how, where's the line in my head? And um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting discussion. We, we certainly got lots of interesting emails about it. Um, there's another one, actually, I'll read. Uh, this is from Scott, uh, Global Reset. He says... Uh, one point that didn't really seem to be addressed in the discussion about removing smoking from video games but leaving in murder is that kids today are not receiving mixed messages about murder. <laughs> there aren't kids growing up in chainsaw-murdering households who will sit down in front of the YouTubes and see the lead singer of their favorite band is also into chainsaw-murdering. They don't see the cool kids sneak miniature rifles in their pocket that just look like other common items so they can fool teachers and get a quick murder in the bathroom <laughs> with the other cool kids. I haven't gone to a ton of parties in my life, so your mileage may vary, but I've never felt any peer pressure to try murder just once. We're generally pretty united in the front against murder, even if we're not so united in what we need to do to solve the general problem of gun violence. But we're definitely not united in the viewpoint that I assume you and I all share, that smoking is disgusting, a disgusting habit that is a senseless and destructive act. So I personally applaud anyone who says they're not going to add to that confusion around those messages. And I'll continue to look very suspiciously at the person who thinks that violent video games are training murderers. I thought that was an interesting perspective too. It's, it, it really is um, apples and oranges, but I still kind of feel like, you know, I have to ask myself that question. Uh, if, if I find one bad, what do I think, you know? Yeah. And I think it's an important question to ask. And I think everything you consume or do, I, I, you know, I think if you listen to this show enough, you kind of have learned that about, about us and the kind of this approach to the show where it's like, evaluate it, think about what you're doing. Um, and, and don't, doesn't mean it's bad, but take time to reflect on the thing that you're doing and why you're doing it and what you're getting out of it and keep questioning. Right. To me, I think that's what makes so much of life interesting is questioning and developing yeah. and changing your mind and, and and moving forward with it i mean and that being said i've killed a lot of stuff this week jeff like <laughs> <laughs> yeah we should get to that but I, yeah i think you're right and in you know a lot of people quote the um the way we sign off the show which is you know make the world a better place but that's not the whole thing a lot of people just say oh yeah i, I like that you say make the world a better place but the whole, the whole line is think about what you put out into the world. And I think that's, for me, that was always a big part of it. And it's think about, think about it first. Uh, and, and I think that that's, uh, that's kind of our message on the show. So uh, I appreciate all that. There's by, by no means the end, all of the emails that we got, there was a lot of really interesting discussion about this sent into the show. And I appreciate all of it. Thank you all for, uh, 
for that. And I, I appreciate that people can have this discussion and not feel threatened. You know, a lot of people will knee jerk and say, oh, you can't, you hate video games. You're trying to change our cool hobby or whatever it is. And uh, I appreciate that our audience doesn't seem to have that uh, knee jerk reaction. We've, we can have this conversation and, and really reflect, which is great. Speaking of reflecting, uh, let's reflect on our sponsor. <laughs> uh, I'm reflecting on uh, the fact that uh, I slept on different sheets this week that weren't Brooklyn and sheets. And I missed my Brooklyn and sheets. Uh, I went and spent the weekend uh, away up. Uh, I went to Palm Springs with some friends and I slept on a bed that didn't have my, my Brooklyn and sheets. And boy, do I miss my Brooklyn and sheets. I, I almost forget what an upgrade they were when I got them, <laughs> but uh, they really are the most comfortable sheets I've ever owned in my life. Uh, and you know, you spend a third of your life in your bed. Don't you want to be insanely comfortable? That's what Brooklyn and sheets are for me. I used to just buy whatever the cheapest sheet was and experience scratchy, uncomfortable sheets that didn't feel like a warm hug when I, when I slipped into bed. Now, now I get that warm hug. Uh, Brooklinen has awesome, uh, an awesome amount of, of variety of, of cool designs and looks. Uh, my wife likes it for that. I don't even, I'm not savvy enough. I, I, I always say I'm the beneficiary of my wife's good taste. I don't have enough good taste to know what looks great. She does. Brooklinen looks great, but I like the feel of them. They feel so good. They're luxury linens, luxury uh, it, it feels good. They, they just um, updated a, a new assortment of colors. They've gotten over 35,000 five-star reviews, which is more than any other online bedding company. They, they've got 12 uh, patterns to choose from. Uh, I mean, they, they sell robes. They sell all kinds of stuff. They don't have that markup that you get from other places. These are much more affordable than you would find uh, for the comfort level. This is luxury linens without that luxury markup price and uh and brooklinen's going to help you out just for listening they have got an exclusive offer just for listeners of dlc get 10 percent off your first order and free shipping when you use promo code dlc at brooklinen.com brooklinen is so confident in their product that all of their sheets comforters and towels come with a lifetime warranty and the only way to get 10% off your first order and free shipping is to use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code DLC. Brooklinen. These really are the best sheets ever. All right. It's time to talk about the games that we have been playing. Luke. Yes, sir. What is on your playlist? Oh goodness gracious! After last week, uh, last week's DLC, hearing Christian talk about Ultimate Alliance, I I pulled the trigger, mm. uh, and I have been having such a blast. And I can absolutely echo his thoughts from last week, and that this is a this is one of my favorite games that might not be good, <laughs> but it might be great. But I but it's just a pure video game, but masher, mindless fun with characters I enjoy. Uh, we played a build at E3 that was rougher than this and so i was very happy to see that's why i was hesitant and then to play this the the release product it's 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 a good old time and i have a great time just walking downstairs sitting next to my wife while she reads or works on something and i'll just be 
you know, blasting away at randomless, mindless enemies. But it's a fun, fun Switch title that I wasn't expecting to enjoy as much as I did. And uh, it's been a blast. So you're on the same page of it, it is it's, it's a fun game. It's more fun than it is good. It's not reinventing the wheel, but it is delivering something that's kind of mindless fun. Uh, does it need Absolutely. to be more than that? No, it doesn't. And I would like to push, I often try to push back uh, whenever possible on the idea that a game doesn't need to be a nine or 10 in order for you to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, whatever that means for you, if it stays gone, crack down uh, any other game that that's, you know, come out that, you know, maybe was critically panned or didn't hit the commercial success that people wanted to. And just the, the mind share isn't where you might like it if, or you might want to join in if it's if it's celebrated by you but i really really just i'm having a, a great time with it and it's is it is a great game to me i'm having uh, an absolute ball just jumping in there and experiencing this story with so many of my favorite characters uh from all over the, the marvel verse mm-hmm. uh, and not just the mcu that's like it's great to see all right so tell me your lineup what's your preferred marvel ultimate alliance lineup at present, because uh, it takes it takes a bit to get certain characters, but at present, my preferred lineup is uh, Spider Man, Cap, Iron Man, and Daredevil. Mm. Uh, my boy that was robbed from appearing in a certain movie. Uh, it was great to see. I get to have my own uh, my own uh, MCU climactic uh, moment there. Daredevil, by the way, great show. You guys, check it out. That's good. It's good stuff. Cool, Christian. Uh, what is your preferred Marvel Ultimate Alliance lineup? It, it changes a lot. I've watched some videos of high-level Miss Marvel that uh, <laughs> makes her very compelling, especially for some of the riffs, which are like you go and replay kind of old areas of the game, but now they're like challenges, like 200 enemies in 20 minutes, or in 20 minutes is too long, but, you know, um, challenge rooms basically that are replaying old assets, but take down Doc Ock again, but you can only attack him when he's in certain status and stuff like that. And you'll unlock, I think it's two characters are unlocked that way and a couple of outfits. Those are some of my nits about the game is kind of the, the grind added to it. All that being said though, I've succumbed to it because Miss Marvel, who I find her arc to be a little one note of like, I'm a Marvel fan girl, which she is in the comics. Like she's kind of like, I can't believe yeah. I'm doing this. But she's grown past that, I think, in in big ways over the years that she's, you know, had her own comic. And what do they even call New Avengers anymore? I don't. What's that book called? Miles, her and Nova. I don't even know, dude. Man, it's good. I don't even know. So sad that I don't know. Uh, Everyone yelling in their cars. Thank you. You got it right. I'm sorry. I couldn't think of it right now. (laughs) Um, But I think her characters become more interesting. And in Ultimate Alliance, that's the beauty and the beast of Ultimate Alliance, right? Is that most of these characters are, if you had to sum them up in a sentence, that's who they are. And that's who they are for the whole game. Because this game isn't spider-man's arc over the ps4 game of learning how to live in a world without a support system or you know whatever that is it's here's this character you know and love defined by this twitter constrained character limit now they will be that for the next 18 hours and most of the time that's great sometimes you're like we get it you're happy to be here (laughs) um miss marvel is is really great in the game i like her a lot i really like hulk even though i I, I don't think he's the best player for high-level play. I think he's really fun just to get in there and smash things up. He has nice um, radial impacts that kind of helps clear space. Um, 
I always have some form of spider person on my team. Mostly it's still been spider Gwen, uh, who I will start calling ghost spider from here on out. <laughs> um, and then who do I have locked in right now? It's Hulk, Miss Marvel, ghost spider, and uh or spider ghost ghost spider spider i'm all over the place today with my marvel man it might be wolverine hmm it might be wolverine the classics did you guys see that the the dlc slates that are announced almost mimic quite of what could be coming to the mcu over the next few years yeah with blade and uh fantastic fjord and stuff that's got to be a calculated decision yeah i don't think it's any coincidence but super exciting and cool yeah, yeah, it's Marvel uh, Knights, Fantastic Four, and X-Men. And it's like, as Marvel gets the cinematic rights back to those characters. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, what else have you been playing, Luke? Uh, I dove back in for the second weekend in a row into the Gears 5 tech test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know anybody um, that tried to jump in on day one last weekend probably uh, ran into some server issues. I heard your horror story, Christian. Uh, of getting stuck in queue, and that's got to be a bummer, man. But I will tell you this, uh, having w- playing the second day of the tech test last weekend all the way through to now, it is worlds different. Um, I enjoyed getting unlocks that are going to tr- carry over to the game proper. The world's game different being that you can you don't have to wait four and a half hours to get into a game. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, a exactly. They, they've <laughs> really cleared out these server queues. They've streamlined an, a, a great deal of the joining with your party, jumping in, uh, all the, the quality of life stuff that just comes with getting into a game. Uh, and then once you're in there, goodness gracious, this game is, is beautiful. The gameplay is remarkably smooth. They've done a number of uh, mild upticks that come from from Gears of War 4's evolution uh, in competitive play to casual play. This game is very approachable in arcade mode, which is nice to see because its competitive mode is brutal. It's like it, it'll remind you of uh, jumping into a Call of Duty match if you've been out of it for a few years. Uh, and so I thought the tech test has going, gone over very, very well, particularly through to its second weekend and its evolution from showing escape mode at E3. Hmm. Christian, did you ever get a chance to get in and play? I did. I played. I got in the last weekend and played some. And it's also the reason um, for all of my computer fun. So I played it on computer and then I ran the benchmark and I was like, I bet I can do better. And then I bought a bunch of computer <laughs> stuff and that's the trap. Yeah, and then if you see me on Twitter, you see that I had some problems and then I think I got them fixed. And right when I kind of maybe got it fixed, I had to leave to go to Wyoming. And yes, Jeff, that's all I'm thinking about. So leave me alone. I wanted, I wanted to do a big full on update on that. Well, we can do uh, that too, but yes, I played it and it's fun, but also I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're all in on gears five, Luke. It sounds like you are, you know, as an, as an Xbox centric podcaster and an xbox centric Mm -hmm. gamer sounds like you're big Mm -hmm. on that franchise as a whole i am i have a long kind of emotional connection to that franchise from all the way back when i was in college in the xbox 360 but um i really also enjoy lore uh the joke is that my last name is lore but i really enjoy the lore of different universes Hmm. and i enjoy the canada universes so that makes sense (laughs) <laughs> the the comic books the novels uh i really i'm reading the nonfiction retrospective by arthur geese right now um i really enjoy kind of learning how they build these worlds from video games but also outside of that and so yeah very much into the franchise i very much enjoy discussions about you know how this map texture might be a map texture but it could also be something far more uh, inclusive or or threaded into the universe hmm. 
Okay, so one of the news stories we didn't really talk about, and now I have to, since I know that you're a gears head, <laughs> gears head, uh, now I have to ask because we heard this week David Bautista saying that he has done everything he could possibly do to try to be Marcus Phoenix in the upcoming or planned Gears of War movie. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think? Do you think he would be a good Marcus Phoenix? He certainly looks the part. He looks the part. He has the attitude that comes with it. And the truth is Marcus Phoenix is about looking the part. He doesn't say much. Right. He is not a talker. And, and that, that translates very well to a video game because the player is able to project themselves partially into whatever character they're playing. Um, I think he would, would be great in the role. Um, but also th- that's not to say they couldn't find somebody better. Maybe they're trying to do something different. They uh, Rod Ferguson has come out and said multiple times that with the, with the gears of war movie, they want to tell a gears of war story, but it does not need to be the same gears of war story. We've seen that story right? Uh, told in multiple ways. So they might be looking for an actor that could better do that. Uh, what, the, what they're hoping for. Maybe it doesn't need to be, the same type of Marcus Phoenix. Tom Holland. Um, I certainly know that yeah, <laughs> he's for every, he's there for everything. Um, but he and Terry Crews certainly would, would be a blast to watch on screen together. Um, I have yeah. no problem if it'd be Dave and I would, I mean, I'm going to be curious to see who it is no matter what. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the game as told is a big broy muscle high five and fest in the spirit of the, the old Schwarzenegger you know, era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like, you know, Terry Crews and Batista could be, could bring that and it could be a, it could be a little goofy fun or it even could be dark and intense fun. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if they're trying to make it a little more serious than that, but I don't know. I, I kind of feel like just make a big explosive action movie that, I don't take yourself so seriously because I certainly don't take the gears of war story seriously, but maybe I'm mm-hmm. not a super fan. So maybe my, it, you know. it'll come down to that. Do they want the bro action fast and the furious right. uh, movie or do they want the dark Knight? And they're going to have to decide what, what tone they're aiming for uh, yeah. with this. And I, I don't know, but um, you know, the, the eyes are on Batista because he's saying the things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of taking it public, saying, "Hey, I'm trying." And Terry Crews going, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> um, so, so Gears Five. Oh wait, if we're allowed to, do, I also would like to be in it, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you want to play, Christian? Who do you think you're perfect for? Locust Grunt Two Four One. Give me your best Locust Grunt. <laughs> oh, dude, come on! You're not going to oh, cast that, was, that, Rod? No, Rod's yeah, not that's gonna, when I got killed because I'm coming out. That was pretty good. Sink. That was great. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying it. You'd be a fool not to cast Christian Spicer. A fool, I say. Thank you. We'll mail the tapes to him. I'm sure he listens. <laughs> I'm sure he listens to the show. Uh, okay, so yeah, Gears Five. Uh, Gears Five. Thumbs up. Uh, is there anything you are looking for specifically? I, I'm just excited because you know you're a legit Gears super fan, and I don't think Christian or I fall in that category. I think we both have enjoyed the series, mm-hmm. but more. I think casually than some. Well, um, I am. I'm curious, Jeff. Do you think that I, my fear with Gears Five is going to be that of sequelitis? In that, and very similar to what you might have seen with like Forza Horizon Four. Forza Horizon Four was a fantastic video game, one of the best racers I've ever played. But it was 
very much just more Forza. And I'm wondering if people are going to see this as more gears and a high quality game gets overlooked because of sequelitis. We've seen Gears of War before. We've seen Forza before. I'm wondering if uh, you think this will recapture people's attention or it'll just kind of move along. As a casual fan, do you see yourself excited for this or do you see other people getting excited? I think it, it abs- I think the answer is absolutely yes, that will happen. <laughs> I think it has already happened. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, this game doesn't really seem to have the prestige position that a a franchise like this, or at least Microsoft thinks a franchise like this deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has already happened. And I think mm-hmm. whatever marketing push they they put into it didn't seem to emphasize anything that would change that opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this, uh, Christian and I have talked about this offline too. And I think we both agree. I, I think this game is going to be real fun, but no one is going to be th- talking about it for game of the year. No one's going to be, it, it's going to be one of those like, yeah, no, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be in super solid and real fun and moving on. Um, but I'm maybe, I'm wrong. maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I fully agree with you. And I'm, I'm, the guy that does own the comics and is excited for it. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And I hope not because if it's, if it is a high quality game, those things do deserve attention, but I would hope that for any game, regardless of how enthusiastic I was for it. Yeah. Well, I fully hope to be pleasantly surprised that it takes me to a place. I mean, I thought gears four was great. I really enjoyed that game. I had a blast with that game. The last level where you're like super tall. Mech dude, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was that was awesome. fun. Uh, I had a great time with that game and I've, I've enjoyed every, uh, gears game. I didn't play, what was the weird side one? Um, judgment. Yeah. I did not play judgment, but all the mainline ones I have had a great time with, and I fully expect five to be a great time. I just Mm -hmm. don't think that it's going to reinvent the wheel and I, and that's fine. Like there's no onus on them to do that, but I also feel like that as a known quantity, it's sort of like, yeah, no, I'll play that. It's a good it's a good uh, excuse to have Game Pass where you can yes. get that experience and jump into other stuff, too. And there's totally. lots of stuff there, dude. The idea that that game is going to be on Game Pass. I mean, come on. There's no reason not to play it. It's great. It's yeah, absolutely. Christian Spicer, let's do a little before we get into your playlist. Let's do a little update on the the saga as the CPU turns. <laughs> We're- Last week on As the CPU Turns, Christian Spicer had purchased a video card he thought might be too big for his case. Yeah, I forget what we talked about on the show and what we've talked about. Just You are going to force it. Okay. Force it. And it kind of fit, and it booted. Yes, so I forced uh, last it. Last week, you forced it. I got it and- in there. I got the 2070 Super into my old computer, and it fit, and it ran, and seemed great and i was like i played metro uh exodus with ray tracing on and i thought it looked beautiful and i was having fun mm. playing through the beginning levels of that game again and then i was like oh the gears test is this weekend i wonder if it's easier on pc than getting in on xbox and it's later in that first weekend so i thought, oh wow Ge- this looks great man this is beautiful man this game is fun benchmark interesting hmm i remember gears 4 had a cool benchmark Ah, uh, who cares? Everything looks great. Well, I'm going to click. Let me just click on that benchmark. Benchmark. Yeah, I'm crushing it. Look at all these frames for a second. Way more than I than I need. Let me just, well, now that I'm here and I have my benchmark, I should probably see what other people's benchmarks are. Well, oh, these other benchmarks are way better than my benchmarks. 
why is my benchmark? Hmm, maybe my CPU's throttling. Okay, well, that's the thing. Oh, is, is, is my GPU running a little hot? I've looked at the numbers now. There's no turning back. Well, um, oh, look what's showing up in my house on Thursday. What is that? A new PSU, a new motherboard, a new <laughs> tower, and new uh, i7-9700 Intel chip. Uh, well, <laughs> oh, and a new fan. Flash forward two weeks from now, and Christian's scratching his neck, saying, "Where? Where's the next ray tracing? Let me see it." <laughs> yeah. So, we'll so you, your, your performance was fine. It was, gr- it was better than you fine. saw numbers. Yeah, you saw numbers that were not the numbers you expected, and then other people's numbers were better than your numbers. And even though that bear, bears no relation to the actual experience of playing the games, you needed to have them numbers in the place you wanted them numbers you know that scene in a beautiful mind where russell crowe um comes out of the coliseum after killing those gladiators and all those numbers are falling down (laughs) right it was like that and and all the numbers were falling down and except instead of my head highlighting some of them and finding the answer to the equation a few of the numbers turned to letters and they said buy and build a new pc and i did so (laughs) so fun though So now you're having all the fun because you put it all together and it worked perfectly right the first time. Dude, so this is my first build, first time builder, long time wannabe builder. Um, My wife came home and total total sidebar, she was totally on board for this project. It wasn't like order on my secret credit card shipped to my P.O. box. I did do it when she wasn't home. So, you know, make your draw your own conclusions. Well, my wife works has to work night shifts sometimes. So she was working a night shift. To pay for your computer. She picked up a few extra <laughs> night shifts. Which meant I was at home with the kids and not out doing stand up. And yes, all of those other things you also said are true too, Jeff. <laughs> so she comes home. She's totally on board with this. Yeah, agreed to work at a few extra shifts. I mean, she's not she didn't come to Wyoming with me, but we're still together and the relationship's closer than ever. <laughs> I brought my computer and not my wife. It's totally fine. Um, my wife is my computer. Um, and and so she's like, are you going to be able to finish this? It's like, this is relief. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. This is great. It's like, yeah, it's going to take a while. I'm going to be up super late. But, you know, it's like really rewarding. It was, it's, everything's going the way I think it should. And I, you know, looked up a few wow. things along the way and it's easier than it's ever been to build a computer. And here I am plugging do to do and screw do ba And I get it all done and have a tempered glass side case with like annoying LEDs in there for the first time in a computer. And I was like, ha sweet. And then I plug it in. Uh, mm, uh, yeah, I can get to BIOS. That was it. If I tried to boot to Windows, it would just freeze on like uh, those little dots that kind of spin. Oh, yeah. Been there. Yeah. And uh, John Davidson, uh, friend, OG podcaster, and also recent computer upgrader extraordinaire was like, oh, well, if you switched your motherboard, but you brought over your hard drives, you know, it could be that if you had an OEM version of Windows, it's locked to that hard drive. So you're going to need mm. a new license. So you might have a problem yeah. there. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I'm glad I know Welcome that. Welcome to an extra 150 bucks. Right. But I'm like, well, at least I know that. Now I won't be panicking yeah. when this doesn't work. So I was like, well, I have that in my back pocket. I can get the Windows license. I'll do a fresh install. Here we go. Boot off a thumb. No problem. Whim. You want that fresh clean install anyway. You've got a new – you're building a new computer. You want to have that musty old no, yeah. garbage install. Yeah. you got to get that fresh clean install. And so that's what I did. You know, I paid – I think it was 130 for another Windows 10 license. Got yeah. the ISO on a thumb. And yep. let me just uh, make a long story short. <sighs> um. Still not booting? Still not booting. It got to – Get that new hard drive. Time to buy a new hard drive. <laughs> 
So, um, well, I tapped into the kids' college funds, okay? Because look, all I'm saying. So I couldn't get it to boot. They're super on board, though. The kids are super on board with this plan. <laughs> they didn't even when they get home, they'll realize that it was the best idea. When they know a 16 year old can make three mil playing Fortnite. They know that I have to have a computer for them to train on. You know? So. Yeah, that's that is good point, man. Thank that you. is just you investing in their future. <laughs> so uh, I put it out into the Twitterverse. So thank you to the Twitter family for helping and i'm honestly because i was leaving soon i got impatient i know you should like make one change then try then make one change mm. then try towards the nobody got time for that I did not <laughs> <laughs> i made several changes then tried and literally like 20 minutes before we had to leave to the airport uh i got it boot to boot to windows but like hey, safe mode success. safe mode windows Okay. Um, so that's where I am. I think I have it figured out. I think my land port wasn't working on my motherboard to like um, download the a Windows update or sync to the Windows server or something like that. But I think it's because I need to my motherboard. I need to add all the drivers to it. Like mm. the LAN light is on back there. So it seems like it's connected, but it's not sending or receiving data. So I was looking at the motherboard and all the drivers that are released. Um, and so my next step when I get home is I'm going to download all of those drivers onto a thumb drive and load all of the new drivers on and get that started. And if people are curious what I, the things that maybe were the final fix for me (laughs) were updating the BIOS. I updated to like the newest BIOS for the board. And then I also changed, um, my boot. And if I got this all wrong and I'm melting my computer, please know my computer is currently unplugged. So if I've already melted it, the damage has been done. Uh, so I changed, I updated the BIOS, which seemed like a nice surefire fix. And then I went and I changed the UEFI boot control to legacy. And those were the last two things that I did before I got it to work. I also tried changing my RAM and changing the slots that the RAM were in. Everything seemed to load in the BIOS. But the two biggest things, the last things I did right before um, were those two things. So that's short, long story short. You've been a delight to your family in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say uh, on the on, on the internet, searching for obscure uh, driver issues. <laughs> there's Mother a bald board. eagle, and there's a new soundboard driver. <laughs> wow. Well, that was a very detailed look into um, let's just say a descent into madness. Yeah. Um, but but a fun one, man. Those things are fun, even when it's going bad. You're just like. I no, love that. Jeff, they're only fun if you come out the other end. Believe me, if I turned out that I melted my new GPU <laughs> or CPU because I put it in backwards and upside down, it's not gonna yeah. it's not gonna be a fun end to that story, you know? I believe in you. I believe I believe you're on the right track. Well, I believe that I texted you several times mid panic, and just because you were with your family in Palm Springs, you didn't reply, and I really could have used that emotional sport, bro. I'm sorry. I was I wasn't with my family. I was with I was on a vacation and by myself with my <laughs> buddies and uh yeah we were playing dungeons and dragons cool cool never mind I, that totally I take a vacation sense. from my dungeons and dragons show and go and play dungeons and dragons <laughs> anyway uh enough about me uh what's on your playlist nothing because my no um so i knew i was going to be gone when i was planning for this week of gaming so i have wolfenstein as we talked about i got it on switch playing wolfenstein youngblood um, I do have the buddy pass. If anyone wants to play Jeff or Luke or anyone wants I to do. want to play. Does it have cross play or cause no. I have it on Xbox. No. no, it doesn't. So just play it on what you have it then. Cause um, so Wolfenstein Youngblood is takes place. You are BJ Blazkowicz's twin daughters playing in Paris in 1980. As you look for your father who has disappeared 
and it's built around co-op where both daughters are present all the time. And if you are playing single player, uh, the computer takes control of your co-op buddy. And I've only played in single player and I, the, my co-op controlled companion has been adequate, not great, but she'll like throw me health and ammo and armor, you know, through like little perks that you can do from time to time at appropriate manners will come and help, you know, get me, get back in there moment me. That's all you want. You want to, when you're down, you want the AI to drop everything it's doing yes. and mm-hmm. red you. Yes. That's all you want. Yes. Just like real people. When real, <laughs> when I'm playing with real people, if I'm down, drop everything you're doing and get over and res me. <laughs> no, it's different with real people. Like finish your flank and then come around and res me. But no. the computer, yeah. No, I'm down, I'm down, I'm down, I'm down, I'm down. That's what I say when, I, when I'm playing with anybody. I'm down, I'm down, I'm down, I'm down. Until they are like, all right, here I am. I'm like, okay, I'm up, I'm up. I'm good. Oh, I'm down. I'm down, I'm down. <laughs> That sounds a lot like some Apex players I know. <laughs> You've been playing with Jeff, probably. Um, his screen name is I'm Down, if you haven't played with him. And you're like, oh, cool, this guy's down to play. Oh, no, now I get it. I get what he's saying. That's not what he meant. I get what he's saying. Well, Christian, why, why did you choose to snag this one on Switch versus a more powerful system? I'm out of town. PC that you'd, you know. So that was that was the main primary yeah. reason. It was the mobility. Yeah, I wanted to play it. I, I love this new rebooted franchise of Wolfenstein. I know I'm out of town for a week. And I also know I got mm-hmm. a free code for it on PC. Um, mm-hmm. So it will be waiting for me later to play. But I wanted to play it. And so, I, you know, and I also want to support. I bought Mortal Kombat 11 on Switch. Um, mm-hmm. I like supporting these day and date big titles on Switch, especially ones that, you know, the, the limitation is in fidelity and not in playability. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And so I, I like supporting Bethesda's efforts on, on the switch. And so I'll talk about the switch specifics of it later. Um, but the game I really like, I feel like it's, you know, three steps forward, two steps back, maybe in terms of what this franchise is bringing to the table. I understand it's, I think like 75% Metacritic score or whatever it currently sits. I certainly understand some of the critiques with them, with the game and their critiques that I share where checkpointings are frustrating. Um, I'm also playing on not the easiest mode, like the step, it's interesting. It has like normal, and then it's like with hard enemies, and then like normal with the little easier enemies. And I'm playing on that one, like the one step down. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are moments where you are fighting a boss uh, and you will die and your, your checkpoint is 10 minutes back. And when you checkpoint back, you start with the ammo you had when you died. Like it doesn't replenish. It doesn't bring you back to your state, you know, like where you were 10 minutes ago with whatever that ammo is. So if you were saving up your, I don't know, I'm going to get the names wrong for what they are, but like the armor piercing bullets for the gun that you've upgraded to take down this mech boss. And then you get you die, then you respawn. You don't have those bullets because you use them on the boss. Even if you're only one hit away from taking down the boss, it's like now you got to grind for ammo or go back to your base. And then, but maybe now you're 20 minutes back from where you were to get back to the thing, to do the thing that you were doing. Frustrating, definitely frustrating. Mm -hmm. And what I understand, I think the game was with its co-op reliance and infinite get back up in there. If you're able to get to your teammate in time, I think that was kind of how they were looking to balance that out. It's like, how do you make the game challenging and difficult when you can constantly be helping each other um, throughout? I hope that it get that seems like the type of thing, not knowing anything about game development, <laughs> but it seems like the type of thing that could get patched to at least give me my ammo back 
you know, if they can't change the spawn point, they can reset my character to where I was with the good ammo and the grenades that I had. Um, so frustrating. I understand that. I get it. I understand how that is frustrating. But I really, really enjoy what they're doing, and I hope they continue with it. I like the steps forward for how they're kind of evolving the Wolfenstein franchise. And I talked about this when I played it at E3, that I felt like the handler, or the you know Bethesda rep, was saying like, arcane level design, arcane level design. We had people from arcane do level design, and they are the studio behind Dishonored. And I think that level design really shows in this game. While it is still, at the end of the day, um, for all intents and purposes, a linear shooter, um there's caveats there and people are already yelling at me yes you can choose it's 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 a non-linear narrative you can choose to do different missions at different times and it recommends you at a certain skill level before you take on some of the bigger missions and you can take the paris subway to different parts of the cities to choose your missions and while you're on a mission you can branch off and do other things but like when you're focused on a point it's you're completing this mission, but there are multiple routes through the area you're in that feel larger and more rewarding than they have in previous games. Where in previous games, it was, can you find the air shaft to do the stealth approach? Or did you find mm-hmm. the rocket launcher to go down the middle? <laughs> like, that's what the first two felt like in this franchise. And this, it feels like the levels are a little more branching, a little more varied, like all roads lead to Rome. But it feels fun to explore in that moment. And I could imagine playing co-op, sending your not AI-controlled partner down and around and actually flanking these larger enemies and catching them off guard. I think it's really cool to see. I also really like the non-linear narrative structure to the game. While I don't think from my four hours or five hours with the game so far, I don't think they nail the promise of it but I hope they keep exploring it. I know that's gotten some pushback, like really RPG grinding elements and nonlinear narrative in a Wolfenstein game. That's not what this franchise is about. I agree. That's not what the franchise has been about, but I think to push it forward, there's something really cool about not going full open world, but kind of creating this hub that lets you take on missions as you would like, and then gate checking them with, you know, XP to kind of XP to kind of, teach you the ropes and funnel you to certain areas, but also giving you freedom to explore the larger map as you'd like. And I really like uh, non-linear storytelling where you get this piece here, this piece there, you learn about this thing from this, you find you rescue this character here who clues this in. I think it could do something really, really, really cool down the line. So while they didn't nail it perfectly in Youngblood, in my opinion, I hope it's something that uh, Machine Games keeps playing with because I think there's a lot of promise there. And then on the Switch, is it the best version of the game? No, it is not. I can't recommend you buy it on the Switch unless the portability is is very important to you. Um, Then go for it. But it's not the best version of the game by any stretch of the imagination. But it legit blows my mind, just like with Doom 2016 and whatever the last Wolfenstein was also on Switch. Like I'm playing this here with like a Cheshire cat grin face on, like smile across my face, like... I'm playing this on my Switch. It's it's absolutely incredible that this game exists on this console and plays as well as it does. It looks a little muddy, looks a little Vaseline-y, but like, my God, if it's not an impressive game to be playing, you know, as I'm flying to Wyoming in an airplane, playing the game, not the Game Boy mm-hmm. version of Mortal Kombat. Like, that, that, still, that still bumps it up several points on my review scale, and I continue to be impressed by it. Do you think it's oh, appropriately great, priced? 
doing it, it's 30 and 40 bucks for regular and deluxe. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I got the deluxe on sale, like pre-order sales so was like 32 for the deluxe for me. Um, it is interesting. I, I appreciate that it's priced at that price point. I think if it were at 59, I still would have bought it because I love the franchise so much. But I, I, I think it's an interesting approach to what they did. Like they're treating it as a side story, kind of like the expansion for, Oh God, they're not, they're all named horribly. Um, the other one <laughs> that had a meaty expansion that they kind of sold alone. Um, I believe uh, machine games said, if you play like everything, it's actually longer than the last one, but the main story by itself shouldn't take you as long. So yeah, I do think it's priced appropriately and it doesn't feel like a budget game in that regard where it's not like, Oh, clearly this is the not pretty version, you know, like they cut corners here. I think they put a lot of work into the game and I think maybe making it that expansion price and calling it young blood and not like Wolfenstein three, let them take some creative licenses and be a little more experimental than what they would do on a mainline sequel. So I, I like it. Cool, man. Cool. I have it for Xbox One. I haven't played. I just installed it today, so I haven't had a chance to actually play any of it yet. But I'm, I'm looking forward to play it. Play on easy, uh, dude. Listen to me up top. I know. Time. These games are brutal. I know. <laughs> yeah. I did uh, the first game, or not the first game, the most recent one. Uh, I put, finally came around and put it on easy and enjoyed it. Yeah. So maybe I will this time as well. Uh, anything else on your playlist, Christian? Doom 3. We didn't talk about it in the uh, pl- news, but um, sorry of the week, but they Bethesda, which seems odd. Like, here's our new game, Wolfenstein Youngblood. Also, <laughs> the same day that comes out, we're stealth releasing. Well, it's QuakeCon, and it was to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Doom. Yes. And so they dropped so, Doom, yeah. Doom 2, and Doom 3 on everything the same day Youngblood came out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand it. And then the memes of the Bethesda account, but there's been an update. They're going to try to make that optional. So whatever, whatever. Read about that story. It's interesting and fascinating. All that being said, I bought Doom 3. And that is another game that as a um, per Fortnite gaming, I'm a I'm dead. I'm so old. I'm dead. Um, I'm, I'm way too old. But it blows my mind to be playing Doom 3 on my Switch when I remember all of the trailers and it's so mm-hmm. such an old game. The magazines talking about how this game was pushing graphics and the flashlight tech and what this game yeah, is doing. Um, Upgrade your PC to play Doom Three. Yeah, yeah. I did that. Doom Three is the only Doom I never finished, so huh. I'm very excited oh, to replay so that. Sweet. It's such a horror game versus an action shooter. Yeah, yeah. It really is. It's, it's a cool, cool diversion from the standard Doom play that we think of now. Yeah, I'm yeah. maybe an hour in, and I really like it. It's it's nice. It's weird juggling both of these at the same time, but you know, uh, have wallet will spend. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was nine bucks, <laughs> nine bucks on the eShop, and I think I had three hundred coins or whatever it was. So I, I think I paid seven bucks for it. But so far, it runs good. Hour in, I really like it. Cool. Uh, before we get to my playlist, I want to thank our second sponsor, which is Quip. Christian, I think you can recall me recommending quip to a coworker for no reason, like without even having anything to do with them being a sponsor of our show because I love quip. So much. I remember we had work to do and we were waiting to do it. And you're like, hold on. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I got to tell you about quip. I think she was like asking about toothbrushes or something. I was like, Oh my God, you got to hear about my toothbrush. I love my toothbrush. So when you hear me talking on the podcast and you're like, Oh, well this is a sponsorship. He's it, this is what I say in real life for no, for, for just my friends to recommend them uh, for no sponsorship. 
I genuinely think Quip is amazing. I genuinely think uh, it has improved my life in a very subtle way, but a profound way. And I have come to the conclusion that the more things I take off my mental uh, burden, my mental workload, the better off I am. And that it can be super granular. It can be super subtle, like thinking about how long I need to brush my teeth. It's so much better now that I have this Quip toothbrush that pulses every 30 seconds and turns itself off after two minutes where I just start brushing my teeth and I can start thinking about other things. And I don't go, oh man, how long have I been standing here? (laughs) Or I go, I think I'm done brushing my teeth and I'm not because most of us don't brush our teeth long enough. Quip, make sure that I brush long enough because it turns itself off after two minutes. Make sure I have a good two minute long brushing. It is a huge improvement in my life. It sounds silly perhaps that this small little thing can have that big of an impact, but I genuinely love it. And that's just the beginning of what how Quip has improved the toothbrush for the 21st century. Uh, it's got sonic sensitive vibrations, uh, which means that it it's gentle on your gums, but it's a, it's got a very thorough clean, which is great. It's got a multi-use cover that actually can stick to my window. So it, it, it doesn't clutter up counter space, which I really think is clever and awesome. And Brush heads are automatically delivered once every three months, which is what dentists recommend for just five bucks. So most of us, me very much included, uh, used to use a toothbrush way too long when it becomes basically ineffective, but I'm just too lazy to replace it. This does that for me. It takes it off my mental load. It makes me not have to worry about these things. They just show up. I'm like, oh, new head. Just replace the head as it comes with a new a bit of toothpaste as well. It's just great. It's great. I want you to experience how great it is. Oh, also they have a kid's brush now, which my son has, uh, which he loves. Uh, who knew a almost three-year-old could love brushing his teeth, but my son does because it's cool. It's, it's fun. It's electric. It's, it's coming in neat colors. It's awesome. So that's why I love Quip. And why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. And if you go to getquip.com slash DLC right now, you get your first refill pack for free when you get a Quip electric toothbrush. So that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash DLC. I really do love my Quip and I think you'll like yours too. Getquip.com slash DLC. All right. Um, my playlist has a game for Switch as well. And it is a game, I have to admit, uh, that I blind bought based on a viewer recommendation. Uh, we've been asking people to send in their reviews of things to uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. If you feel like we are overlooking a game, we're not aware of a game, or even if we already talked about a game, but we didn't talk about it in the way you would have talked about it, you can feel free to send in your viewer reviews to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We got one from uh, Mims who says, uh, hi guys, I wanted to mention a game that may have flown under your radar during all the E3 hype. It's called Vectronom. It's a hyper It's a hyper minimalist rhythm game where you move a cube around a series of platforms that constantly shift in beat with the music. It's a concept that feels familiar to cadence of Hyrule, yet I've never seen it done this well. I'm in love with the game. The music is incredible, and it's worth playing just for the soundtrack. There always seems to be some instrument layered in the music that you can follow for the right rhythm. Later levels can get quite, I hesitate to say punishing, but 
precise. It supports drop-in, drop-out local multiplayer, but the different players' cubes don't collide. So even though all the players are working toward the same goal, each is playing their own pace. That makes it great for a party because even non-experienced players can understand the concept without feeling left behind. I first played it at the Amaze Fest in Berlin, where the whole crowd was toe-tapping and bouncing to the beat. They even had a DDR pad set up as a controller. It's available for Steam and Switch for about 10 bucks. So I took that advice, and I bought the game, and I have played... Uh, I was looking for something like this. I was looking for a, a game that uh, was sort of just quick, pick up, put down on my Switch. I knew I was going out of town this weekend. Didn't want to do the whole <laughs> Wolfenstein on Switch action. Just wanted something quick and easy, and this fit the bill. Ten bucks. I was like, yeah, I want to play a cool rhythm game. So Mim said that punishing wouldn't say punishing but precise i would say punishing this game gets real hard real hard uh it it, it kind of reminds me of cubert in that it's like this three quarters perspective very uh very minimalist very uh, abstract it's just shapes it's just cube you're controlling a cube on a series of platforms that look like cubes very very cubert um and it's cool it's charming in that way and But the platforms are moving and shifting and disappearing under your feet. And you have to leap from one as one is disappearing to the next one as it is appearing. And it's all done on the beat. So you can sort of see the pattern of the level. And it's like, and things are moving and shifting and moving and shifting and disappearing and reappearing and going and going. And you're like, okay, I got to go do this and then jump back here and then go over here. And now I'm here. And But it gets so complicated. It's almost like a game of Simon where you have to like remember this precise series of movements as you go along or else you plummet and have to start the level over. And there's no checkpoints or anything. You have to do everything in order to complete the, the screen, the level. You have to do it in one go. So it, it at the end of each section of levels, it tells you how many retries you had. And I was up to like 30. You know, it's it's... It's intense and it, and it's uh, it gets really really hard to the point where I'm like I don't even know if I'm going to keep going with this cuz it is so brutal but really clever uh the music is is excellent and um it's one of those games where it's like we recommend you play this with earphones or turn it up real loud uh because the music is helpful in how you attack the uh the the levels how you can time your leaps and really all you're doing is moving there's no other thing to do in the game so you're just moving and trying to stay alive um but an interesting game for 10 bucks uh i i think a lot of people probably haven't even heard of it vectronom uh, a, a recommendation from mims that i jumped at all right uh that is going to do it for this episode of dlc we do have parting gifts coming up but you should definitely stay around for that. But uh, Luke, yes, sir. Or, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to, to get to jump on. And uh, after hearing you guys, you know, week to week, it's been great to jump in and just have a conversation with you guys. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We've loved having you. Where can people follow your work online? Uh, I would encourage all of you that if you enjoyed uh, having me here, and I thank you for listening, uh, to check out the Xbox Drive. It's a weekly podcast I do. Uh, with my friend, good friend, Sean Capri, uh, found on all podcast services, the Xbox Drive. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at MLS Reserves. Very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, relaxing. You oh, know, that's nice. 
playing yeah. playing games on Switch. My daughter is very she uh <laughs> she really loves Mario Kart and Splatoon and is kind of getting into Mario Maker. <clears throat> so when she saw I got a new game, she's very curious about it. And Wolfenstein, every, every parent's different. No judgment if you have different standards, but Wolfenstein is too gory for me to want my six year old to watch me play. She's watched Fortnite and you know whatever. Judge me and my weird rules uh i understand everybody's different but she like really wants to see and every time she comes over i put it in sleep mode and she's, she's like why can't i look at that game dad and i go well estelle this game is for adults and i don't think the content is appropriate and she's like fine <laughs> and like my long-winded response border so uh, <laughs> uh, day the old dad routine of like, well, I'll tell you the reason for that. <laughs> oh, just stop talking, dad. <laughs> You're my dad, gross. Um, but Thursday when I'm back, I think it's the 8th, August 8th. Um, I know about this spot already in advance. I'm at Flappers Thursday, August 8th, if you're in the LA area. And then there's probably other stuff around LA happening as well. Twitter's the best way, at Spicer. And then when I'm at home and not out, I stream this show live on my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. Jeff, what about you? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have a couple of other shows for you to check out. If you want to hear me talking about movies and TV shows, check out the Slash Filmcast, which you can find at SlashFilmcast.com. This week we are talking about, oh, the new Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that should be a really interesting discussion. So check that out, SlashFilmcast.com. I also do a Dungeons & Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. Uh, it's a show I'm extremely proud of. Uh, this last week's, the second half of this last week was extraordinary. Uh, I dare you to watch or listen to the second half of last week's episode called The Battle for Bingle and not just absolutely fall in love with the characters on the show. They are uh, incredible actors that are really invested in this world and make just beautiful choices. Um, I was moved by this last week's episode. I think you will be too. It's extraordinary. And I'm, I feel privileged to be making the show. It is, it is really a, a, a wonderful thing. And I hope people check it out. It's called The Dungeon Run. You can find it on YouTube if you search for The Dungeon Run. Or you can find it as an audio podcast. Search for The Dungeon Run. Or you can watch it live as we record it Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Caffeine. You can find that at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. And I don't want to rush people through stuff to catch up, so to speak, because I get it. Consume at your own pace. Uh, but this week's, this upcoming Wednesday, everybody, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be something pretty special. Uh, insider info. I am very excited to see what you and the crew do, Jeff. I am <laughs> very excited. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Christian, I bounce ideas off of Christian all the time. So he, he does have insider info. So it's like a one out of 10 chance that the conversation we have makes it into the show. And when it doesn't, <laughs> I'm not disappointed because the choice they make or you make is always great. But it's always exciting to be like, that's why he asked about that type of tree. Wow. <laughs> all right. So let's wrap the show up now with some parting gifts. Luke, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. I, uh, being that I'm on my own summer break right now, uh, I splurged on the DC Universe app, which is a, a varying quality, but included in it is the 1992 Batman the Animated Series uh, with Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. 
And I've been going yeah. back and, and watching that a couple episodes a day, just while I'm, you know, enjoying a game or just, you know, having it on the background. And goodness gracious, the art, the animation, the music, the Danny Elfman score in there. Uh, what a great show that was. And so I've been going back and enjoying that. I'd recommend that. Find a way to. to yeah, I think Christian will agree with you, right, Christian? It's incredible, and I like the whole DC Universe app. If you spend money on it, they added a whole bunch of new comics to it, which is great. Mm-hmm. Don't sleep on Swamp Thing, even though it's already canceled. Yeah. And um, uh, what's the other? Good. Oh, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol, I think, is the best show on it, aside from Batman Animated Series. But Doom, Doom Patrol is fantastic, and so is Titans. I thought it gets better uh, and better with each successive episode. Christian, you and I are kindred spirits, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? It's a very Wyoming-centric one, just summer-centric. Nothing can beat a traditional s'more, you know, graham cracker, perfectly toasted marshmallow, and chocolate, a little piece of chocolate on there. But if you're feeling adventurous, do a York peppermint patty, preferably like the the thin if you can get them in thinner. And I think these are relatively new, maybe a year or so old, but they make Reese's peanut butter cups that are also thin. Like they're maybe like half the thickness of a regular peanut butter cup, full width, like full circumference, but thinner. Mm-hmm. That's oh, the way it's a nice little twist on the classic s'more to do a York peppermint patty or the thin Reese's peanut butter cup. Upgrade your s'more. That sounds so good. It's real good. s'more, but s'more s'more, right? You know, know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We got, uh, speaking of food, we got a listener suggested parting gift sent to us to dlcfeedback at gmail.com where you can send your parting gifts if you got something to recommend. This comes from Rob who says, since Jeff brought up artichokes lately, I thought about my most recent foodstuff discovery. Satan. Satan. A lot of people call it Satan. S-E-I-T-A-N. Satan. It's a vegan meat substitute that's primarily gluten. Easy to make, take a bunch of powder, take a bunch of liquid, mix them together, shove it in the oven for 90 minutes. And if you slice it, if, and if you slice it thick and cook it in a pan, it basically turns into gyro meat. Okay, not, not really selling me, but okay. He uh, posted a recipe that he's been using uh, and he said you can find lots of variations floating around online. You got to love that seitan. I, Christian, as, an, as, as a vegetarian... Are you into the seitan? Yeah, I mean, I like to keep a varied, um, you know, it's, it seems weird to call them meat substitutes because it's like, what are you trying to replace? Like, I like to think of like the nutrition you're trying to replace, the protein or the whatever you're trying to get. But yes, as like a thing to serve that someone would think is a main dish style thing, yeah. um, I think it works really well. And I think having a number of options between like that, tofu, like beyond meat style thing, or like the traditional veggie sausage or patty. Um, really helps add variety to what you're making. I noted in Rob's parting gift that he never said it tastes good. He just says, uh, I discovered it. (laughs) It's easy to make. If you slice it thick and cook it in the pan, it turns into gyro meat. He never says it tastes good. But gyro meat tastes good. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You don't yeah. like you don't like uh, getting a no, euro. No, I like euro. Or... I love euros, but I but he never says it, it turn, it's delicious. <laughs> I I can't stop eating it. He just says it's simple, and I discovered it. So you know, <laughs> just saying, Rob. Just saying. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I appreciate you sending that in. My parting gift. It, I, I kind of mentioned obliquely that um, some friends and I went off uh, and uh, played some Dungeons and Dragons this weekend. 
it was an extraordinary weekend. And I know it's easy to say, hey, go take a vacation. I want to make a very specific kind of suggestion to you if you haven't considered it. If you've got some friends that are all, you know, kindred spirits, gamers, for lack of a better term, uh, just rent all pitch in and try to, you know, try to find a weekend, a couple of days, really only all a couple of days is all it takes. Rent someplace. It doesn't even have to be, it doesn't have to be anywhere special, anywhere fancy. We never left the house that we were in. It just rent an Airbnb. You can all pitch in. You probably can find something pretty cheap. Just be in the same place for more than a few hours. Be in the same place with some people you like overnight. Stay up late, get junk food, play video games, play board games, man, it was the best. It was such a like throwback to a time that I don't get to have anymore as a father <laughs> to uh, just staying up late and, and you know, just shooting the breeze with my friends. It was great. And uh, I just want to remind people that that's a possibility. It doesn't take a lot. It's not expensive to get an Airbnb. I'll pitch in a few dollars and, uh, you know, wake up in the morning. I made eggs for everybody. It was just a good old time. So, um, I recommend it. Think about it. Maybe consider doing that. That's my parting gift. Uh, and that's our show. Uh, thanks again to Luke Lore and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. Uh, thank you to all of you for listening to the show. We are indebted to you every single week. Thank you for downloading it. Thank you for spreading the word on the show. We appreciate you. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.